Our New Testament reading is from Mark 9, verse 38 to 50. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop, because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name, because you belong to the Messiah, will certainly not lose their reward. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung round their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worm that eats them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to you. Thank you for reading for us, Amanda. My name is Steve. It's very good to be with you all today uh, as we consider this passage in Mark where Christ gives us advice before we fight. And I wonder what sort of advice you would give someone before a fight. What would you tell them? As I've, um, as I've mentioned before, I was, in the, I was in the American Army for a few years before moving to Cambridge. And there was a commander who, who gave a speech that I'll never forget, partly because, because the men were always quoting it. Um, it, was, it was very memorable. But uh, there, this was some advice that he gave before a fight. He said, the winner will be whoever gets most violent the quickest. So, so that was his advice. The winner will be whoever gets most violent the quickest. And I've been thinking about this advice as I've studied our, our passage in Mark because something similar is happening here, isn't it? The disciples come to Jesus and they ask for his advice on spiritual warfare. And he responds in a very direct way that we must be violent toward sin. That if you want to win in the fight against sin, you must become violent fast. Now, let me be clear, Christ is not talking about physical violence. He is not advocating that we be physically violent because of our faith. He is speaking about spiritual warfare, about the attitude of our hearts towards sin. What is sin? We sin when we disobey or distrust God. We sin against Him when we disobey His commands. And Christ is urging us to fight against this. I think of, of God's warning to Cain in Genesis. God says that sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. 
Those are violent words. There's spiritual warfare going on. And as we open our Bibles, as we go about our daily routines at work, at home, sin is crouching at the door. It is waiting there, hoping to prey on us. And we must be violent against it. So with this in mind, let's look at our passage today and, and learn about the violence that Christ is calling us to because sin is a real problem. God cares deeply about it, and it has eternal consequences. So we begin at verse 38. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. So what we see here is war. There is, there is spiritual war and, and relational war. And the cause of this conflict is sin. It is a rejection of God's authority over our lives. It reminds me, okay, now bear with me here. It reminds me of Charles II. So after the, after the Civil War, after his restoration, the situation in England was very uncertain. And Charles said, we cannot but remember that religion, liberty, and property were all lost and gone when monarchy was shaken off. Well, Mark is showing us just that. When we sin, we deny that God is king. And without a king, we have what Charles promised. We have anarchy. There's, there's spiritual anarchy. There's demon possession there in verse 38. And in fact, the disciples have seen Jesus deal with just this problem already in Mark chapter 5. They come upon this man, and it says, Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So that was life for the demon-possessed, life in a graveyard. This, this spiritual evil has real consequences. It leads to physical isolation and physical harm. And there at the end of verse 38 and on to verse 39, we see that without God's rule, there is, there is chaos in our relationships. The disciples use force to get their way. We told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do you, do you notice whose authority they're defending? They're defending their own authority, not God's authority. And, and this has real consequences. It means that when they see a miracle, when they, when they see someone liberated from Satan, they become angry. They attack a friend. So when we sin, we deny God's authority. It's as though our entire conception of right and wrong is twisted. It becomes, it becomes warped. And I found this, uh, this very humbling um, this passage, because as I've been thinking about it, you know, I realize arguments that I start so quickly over religion or politics, over right and wrong, what I think is right and wrong, and how quickly I'm, I'm just trying to defend my own authority. It's, it's not about God's authority, it's, it's about my own. My influence, my winning the argument, and Mark gives us a very real description here of how sin causes this problem, of how my rejection of God's authority divides us. It divides me from him and, and from, from, from others. So now let's, let's read on. Let's, let's read on. In verse 41, Christ continues, Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose the reward. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble... 
It would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. So what can we learn about sin in these verses? Well, I think it's, it's clear that God takes it very seriously. He judges our actions, even the smallest of them, like the offering of a cup of water, and he considers why. Why did we act the way we did? What was our intention, our motive? Obviously, Christ was not preaching to an English audience, or he would have said a cup of tea. I think that's pretty clear, but, which is such a welcome gift sometimes, isn't it? You just have a cup of tea with someone. In all, uh, in all seriousness, no, it, it, it frightens me to think that God takes my actions so seriously that all of my actions fall under his judgment, and that no matter how small, they can have severe consequences. The gift of a cup of water can merit an eternal reward. The misleading of a little one, of a, of a child or a person who's less mature in the faith, that can merit a punishment worse than death. But our actions do that, don't they? They, they show what's inside our hearts. And there's a, there's a philosopher who puts it this way. He says, men and women realize themselves through freely chosen projects and through an understanding of what they are and ought to be. So my plans in life, the, the hopes I have for work or family or relationships, all guide my decisions. And my decisions, the way I spend my time, her way of realizing my identity. And God cares deeply about this. He wants us to have a right understanding of who we are and who we ought to be. That's why he cares how we treat others and how, how others treat us. He cares when we're thirsty. That was, that was very comforting for me to realize that, to read, to read that God cares even when I'm thirsty. It says, it says something about the Christian life as well, doesn't it? That it's a life where sometimes even a glass of water means a great deal. And God, God cares. He cares when we're misled. The word for stumble there in, in verse 42, it means to cause to sin, to cause to fall into sin, to, to fall away, for, as speaking of the faith, to fall away from the faith, to go astray. And, and we do that sometimes. The things we say or do have, have such great consequences, and they can, they can drive people away from God. And look, look back at verse 38. That's exactly what the disciples did. They misled someone about Christ. And God is saying in verse 42 that he cares deeply about this. So we must do violence to sin because it, it causes real problems in our lives. We must do violence to sin because God takes it very seriously. And finally, we must do violence to sin because of the judgment to come. And that's what Christ refers to in verse 42. And he goes on to warn us further, starting in verse 43. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. So here we learn that we, we learn from Christ that, that if we're going to evaluate sin, we need to consider the stakes. 
we need to consider that our decisions are of great consequence. The decision we make with regard to sin determines whether we live eternally under God's rule or not. It's a choice between, between heaven and hell. And I think it's, it's very, that's very frightening to see that there's no middle ground, there's no, there's no compromise, that we go to one place or another for eternity. In May 2003, Aaron Ralston fell down a narrow canyon in the Utah desert. His arm was trapped by a rock in the canyon, and with little food and water, Ralston knew that he had a decision to make. Either die there in that canyon, or use a pocket knife to amputate his own arm. Now, perhaps you've seen the film that was based on his situation. It's called 127 Hours. I've actually, I'm not, I haven't been able to watch the movie. I thought I should watch it, but I, I don't, I'm not sure if I could handle it. In an interview, I was reading an interview with him uh, about his experience. Ralston described what was going through his mind while he was trapped there in the canyon. These are his words. I went through an evolution. At first, I don't even want to consider the idea of, of cutting my arm off. And then, by and by, I become more desperate. Having figured out the plan of using the tourniquet, it was finally the fifth day when I came to peace with this. There's pain, excruciating experience and intensity. And then there's something that makes all that irrelevant. Something worth living for. To me, that's, that's, the re- that's, that's what the real message of the story is. Yeah, it's the guy who cuts his arm off, but what it's really about is what's more important than cutting your arm off. Now, Ralston's problem required him to actually amputate his arm. Let me say again that here Christ in our passage is speaking metaphorically, that we should evaluate how we spend our time, how we value our possessions, our relationships, and consider what do we value more than eternal life with God. Ralston valued life on earth more than his arm. And Christ is talking here about our eternal life. And the thought process is similar. Cutting off a a hand or a foot is extreme. And Christ doesn't try to trick us into thinking otherwise. He's quite plain about the violence that's required if we're going to deal with sin. What Christ does is is like Ralston. He, He points out that there's pain excruciating experience and intensity, and then there's something that makes all that irrelevant, something worth living for. This is the promise of life, real life, in the kingdom of heaven. And this is what we must think about when confronting sin in our hearts. So sin is a real problem in our lives. God cares deeply about it, and it has eternal consequences. We must do violence to sin if we're going to enter God's kingdom for eternity. But now I wonder, I wonder if you've noticed something strange in the passage, because it's actually quite curious that at no point does Christ suggest that we can entirely avoid sin. Or to put it in another way, Christ does not say here that, that any of us are fine the way we are. <laughs> so he's not setting out a, 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 some plans, some steps for us to follow that you know, we just follow these, these steps and then, and then we're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's, that's, that's not actually, uh, I don't think, what, what, he's, what he's trying to explain. Quite the opposite. Uh, 
even, even the disciples, the ones who'd been with him for many months already, who saw him perform all these miracles, they had sinned. They rejected God's authority at different times. They, they misunderstood who Christ was. They misled others. And even when Christ discusses our need to cut sin from our lives, he speaks as if we must act in the moment, as if we recognize sin in the midst of it or in hindsight. And I think about myself, and the truth is I'm, I'm quick to take offense at my own authority, not God's authority. I act in my own interest, not in the own interest of others. So often I'm, I'm hesitant to trust God. I don't, I don't take him or his commands seriously. I don't do violence to sin. I don't cut it out, amputate it, gouge it out. Who's lived any differently? There's one who has. He committed no sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. This is how how Peter described the work of Christ. And as such an astonishing reality that Christ bore my sin. That by his name I am set free from spiritual confusion. That I can belong to him. That I can pray in his name for my family and my friends to belong to him as well. All of us belong to God in some way. He, He created us. But for those of us who are Christians, we belong to Christ. He obeyed all of God's commands and yet went thirsty. He was maimed and wounded so that by his wounds we're healed. This is, this is the good news. It's so important to remind myself of that because otherwise I begin to think that church is a group of friends, a way to help others, to occupy my time. And it is, it is those things. But it's, it's so much more. It explains how good God is to me. And, and if I forget how good God is to me, then how can anything be good? And that, that, this brings us to the last two verses of our text, starting at verse 49. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves. And be at peace with each other. This, this warning by Christ is, is very rich with meaning. Uh, I'll just talk about one way that we might understand it. I think, I think one way to, to, to explain it is to consider that to appreciate God's goodness, we need to experience it. It's not something someone can tell you about. You have to experience it. To appreciate his goodness, we must experience it. And to experience it, we must realize Christ in our lives. You see, that's why we must do violence to sin. Not to merit God's forgiveness, but so that we can appreciate how good he is. We do that together, Christ tells us, through our decisions, our service to one another, our encouragement, our conversations, our avoidance of sin. We realize together how good God is. We realize together the life to come. Let's pray. 
Father, just like the disciples, we come to your Son, Jesus Christ, for spiritual guidance. We ask for his instruction on who we are and who we ought to be. Thank you that through his sacrifice we can receive eternal life. Help us to appreciate this gift in our actions, in our thoughts and decisions. In his name we pray. Amen.